So moving on to treating hypereosinophilic syndrome, we'll talk about acute treatment. We will talk about um, HES treatment regimens, including conventional treatments and novel and emerging treatments, specifically um, focusing on anti-IL-5 biologic therapy. In terms of the initial approach to HES treatment, the severity and type of presentation really guides treatment-making decisions. When someone presents with life-threatening HES, it's really important to promptly initiate high-dose glucocorticoids um, to prevent the risk of end-organ damage. And so if someone presents with um, life-threatening HES, it's very difficult to take the time to get a full diagnostic evaluation, but a limited diagnostic evaluation is appropriate. Um, and then steroids really shouldn't be withheld while waiting for the evaluation if symptoms are rapidly progressing. In terms of high-dose glucocorticoid dose, we generally say prednisone, one milligram per kilogram a day is the initial treatment of choice. Um, consider giving empiric ivermectin for any patient who might have potential exposure to strongyloides, especially because it takes a few days for strongyloides antibody um, results to return. And then IV glucocorticoids are appropriate for those who are acutely ill or that may have other issues such as GI impairment that could, um, GI involvement that could impair absorption. So as I mentioned before, we don't have a lot of biomarkers uh, for HES, but we do know that there are, so, there are some risk factors um, that, are, that have been identified that can give a clue to whether a poor outcome may occur. And so high risk HES um, patients often have hepatosplenomegaly. They may be older, so greater than uh, age greater than 60 years, and then may have hematologic involvement um, such as anemia or cardiac involvement. And so, and these three things, hepatosplenomegaly, anemia, and cardiac involvement all make you think of myeloid HES, but in general, um, these patients tend to be more high risk. And then um, potential indicators, again, of myeloid HES include the vitamin B12 and elevated um, vitamin, potential indicators of myeloid HES, again, include elevated serum vitamin B12 levels and elevated tryptase levels. In terms of conventional second-line treatment for HES, so here is where we really need to try to identify what subtype we think they have. Patients who are found to have a myeloid or myeloproliferative subtype um, are appropriate to try imatinib with, um, and imatinib is a tyrosine kinase inhibitor. And so again, these are for patients with platelet-derived growth factor receptor-associated myeloproliferative HES or other myeloid features. And common adverse events here could be cytopenias, hepatitis, um, diarrhea, edema, and necrotizing myocarditis. For patients that are PDGFR negative, prednisone um, is a common therapy, and two other common therapies are hydroxyurea and interferon alpha. Interferon alpha in particular is really preferred uh, as a second-line agent for lymphoid HES, but is very difficult to tolerate because of flu-like symptoms and depression. And then there are other therapies that can be used and that have been used um, in kind of limited format or case um, case report format, um, such as methotrexate and cyclosporin. And so these are more anecdotal in terms of the data we have on efficacy. 
What's really exciting though, is that novel treatment options have been developed um, that target the eosinophil pathways. And so, as I mentioned, tyrosine kinase inhibitors um, can be used, especially when someone presents with the myeloid variant HES. Those aren't appropriate generally for patients who present with PDGFRA negative HES. Um, there are many monoclonal antibodies that have been um, used for HES. And then, uh, and these are more targeted therapies um, that have more specificity and lower rates of adverse events. And so we'll talk about uh, these coming up. In terms of targeted therapies for HES, as we discussed, IL-5 is the number one cytokine that's involved with eosinophil differentiation, proliferation, and maturation. And so targeting IL-5 makes a lot of sense for HES. The three agents that have been used include mepolizumab, which is an anti-IL-5 monoclonal antibody, and benralizumab and reslizumab, which are anti-IL-5 receptor monoclonal antibodies. Mepolizumab has been approved uh, for both uh, for eosinophilic asthma, eosinophilic granulomatosis with polyangiitis, and now for HES. Benralizumab um, has had uh, positive studies for the phase two and phase three studies are ongoing. And then reslizumab is approved for eosinophilic asthma and has been studied in hypereosinophilic syndrome as well. Other monoclonal antibodies um, that have been used in, in HES are omalizumab. And so this is approved for both allergic asthma and idiopathic urticaria. Um, Alemtuzumab and anticyclic eight molecules have also been studied. In terms of small molecules for HES, JAK-STAT inhibitors um, are being studied currently. Tyrosine kinase inhibitors, again, I mentioned imatinib, but there are other tyrosine kinase inhibitors that are studied for um, use in myeloid HES. And then other small molecules. And dexpramipexol is interesting because it is a molecule that was originally studied um, for amyotrophic lateral sclerosis. And in the studies was found to have a, a profound um, effect on eosinophils and so has now been studied in, in eosinophilic asthma. Specifically talking about mepolizumab in patients with HES, so in the phase three study, 108 participants with PDGFRA negative HES um, who had persistent eosinophilia greater than 1,000 and had greater than two flares per year were included with the primary endpoints of looking at the proportion of patients with a flare during the study. And we found that, or the study, the study found that there was a much lower probability of both flare and um, cumulative number of flares. So decreased the risk of flares um, in the patients who received mepolizumab versus placebo. Mepolizumab was also studied in patients with EGPA. So um, the study involved 136 participants with refractory EGPA receiving prednisolone, and they were randomized to either getting uh, mepolizumab or placebo. And they were found to have uh, significantly increased remission over one year in the mepolizumab group, and the remission was 53% versus 19% in the, the mepolizumab versus placebo group, respectively. 
Fenrolizumab, which is an anti-IL-5 receptor monoclonal antibody, has been studied in patients with HES in a phase two study, which included 20 symptomatic participants with PDGFRA negative HES. Again, with an absolute eosinophil count greater than 1,000, was found that the absolute eosinophil count was decreased by 50% in 90% of the participants um, who received fenrolizumab and only 30% in those who were treated with placebo. And during the open label period, 89% of participants had clinical and hematologic responses. And so uh, this, so benralizumab is now in phase three studies. In terms of common adverse events with these IL-5 therapies, they're really well tolerated in general. So anti-IL-5 and anti-IL-5 receptor therapies um, have been relatively well tolerated in all the studies. Uh, common adverse effects, um, include nasopharyngitis, injection site reactions, headache, and upper respiratory tract infections, um, and serious adverse effects were really rare in the studies, but they did include asthma worsening, anaphylactic reactions, and pneumonia. So in summary, um, for HES diagnosis and treatment, at presentation, we want to um, identify the onset of, of eosinophilia, identify the magnitude or severity of eosinophilia so that we are able to um, determine if it's mild, moderate, or severe, understand um, how it's temporarily associated to medications or exposures. It's really important to get a great clinical history. So um, identifying if the patient has a travel history, um, what medications they're on, including over-the-counter medications and supplements or any other comorbid conditions. Um, performing a complete physical exam, looking for signs and symptoms of organ dysfunction, performing an initial diagnostic workup, which could include getting a CBC, troponins, uh, peripheral smear, serum vitamin B12 and tryptase, uh, flow cytometry. And then if there is anything that flags on the initial diagnostic workup, additional or subsequent diagnostic workup could include additional imaging, such as cardiac MRIs, CAT scans, endoscopies, colonoscopies, skin biopsies, lung biopsies, et cetera. This allows us to understand what organs are involved. We want to make sure that we've ruled out other alternative diagnoses, such as autoimmune conditions, drug hypersensitivity, malignancy, and parasitic infections, among others. And then we want to make sure that we rule out other alternative diagnoses such as autoimmune conditions, drug hypersensitivity, malignancy, parasitic infections. And then once we've determined that the patient has HES, we wanna determine if it needs to be urgently treated or not. If it needs to be urgently treated, then we wanna treat with high dose glucocorticoids, including ivermectin, if there is concern for strongyloides, and once we have a patient in a stable condition, so we want to identify what subtypes they have. This can include lymphoid subtype, myeloid subtype, overlap um, associated or idiopathic HES. And then depending on the subtype, this will help guide therapy. And if a patient is not doing well with initial therapy and or having adverse side effects and they have PDGFRA negative HES, considering more targeted therapy such as biologics or considering clinical trials if appropriate.
In summary, prompt treatment with glucocorticoids is recommended for those patients with HF, for patients with HES with life-threatening symptoms, including use of ivermectin if strongyloides is suspected as well, making sure that treatments are individualized by HES classification and consideration of using newer targeted agents for HES. 